Anin, thank you for joining us here today. I'd like to take this time to acknowledge all of my uh, indigenous brothers and sisters here on Turtle Island. I hear you and I see you. I'd also like to acknowledge all of our other brothers and sisters who might have come to this land through different means. Uh, we all share this land now and I'd like to just give thanks to the land that provides so, so much to us, to the trees that do so much work for us can ask so little in return. I'd like to acknowledge in Ojibwe that uh, we believe water is alive and water has a life and water is life and that is our responsibility to do better to take care of the water. I'd like to also acknowledge uh, our brothers and sisters that have wings and gills that might have claws and be on all fours. We share this line with them and you know it's our responsibility to honor them as well. So miigwech for joining us today. Hi, Caitlin. Hello. Um, hello, hello. Do you want to introduce yourself for everybody? My gosh, yes. But first of all, wait, can I say this on record? Can we, if, we, if, if I can't, we can start again. But can I say that I'm also here with Dylan Chiblo, Banks Prize Award winner? You can say that. Yes! Because um, <laughs> my name is Caitlin Yacht and I'm here with Dylan Chiblo and it's an honor. <laughs> oh, stop! Oh my god, you're such a nerd. <laughs> That's so nice. Oh my gosh, you're so cute. You're the, you're the first person to congratulate me uh, not uh, via writing, so that's so cute. Oh my gosh, thank oh you. Well, I want to like, I want to lift you up and just say how excited I am to be on this podcast and just mm -hmm. like how stoked I am to get nitty gritty with some real, real truths that got to be spoken. Speaking of lifting up, I do feel like if people don't know, I'm six foot three. People are always shocked when they meet me. They're like, you're so tall. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and Caitlin is not six foot three. I'm oh. not. You're, you're like Kristen Chenoweth height. <laughs> Aren't you? Like, are you and her the same size? I'm a little bit taller. I'm 5'2". That's so funny. <laughs> but speaking of lifting up, I do believe you probably could still physically lift me up. Like, I if, I, if we were hiking and I twisted my ankle, I believe you could, like, easily, like, you know, mm -hmm. we would get out of the woods. Before I've, been, the I've been described as being um, really compact. Like, mm -hmm. somebody said that because I do a lot of TYA, like, a lot of children's theater, and so because I'm, like, small and athletic, I, like, run around a lot, and they were like, yeah, like, you're not, like, you're just compact. Like you just have this little, you're like a little ball of strength. And I was like, thank you. Yes, I think that's a good thing. That's good. I like that. I would take that as a compliment if somebody called me compact. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just, you know, big things in a small package. Oh, for everybody listening, do you want to tell everybody how we know each other? Because Caitlin and I do know each other very, very well. Yes. Um, well, yes, I will say for the record. Uh, my name is Caitlin Yacht. I am a Coast Simshan, Niska, Gitskin, Japanese Canadian, European settler, queer, human, artist, storyteller, um, lover of dogs, and long walks on the beach. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, is this my Tinder bio? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Caitlin's just reading from her Tinder bio, guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's so fun. Well, if you wrote the bio, you might as well use it. Every actor, no. you know, recycles their bio, just sends yeah. it. And... Well, if there are any, like, woke queer femmes out there, you know, hit me up, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Caitlin and I know each other because we've worked together yeah. on the same show for, it feels like we've done it three times, but we haven't. I mean, we kind of done it, like, four times because of... <laughs> We've that kind one of tour. for a million years. Yeah. It's um so we met 
we met in the second iteration of Children of God in Edmonton. Yeah. And that show is super funny because it feels like every person who's been part of the project, because obviously it's had three or, has it had four iterations? No, three. I mean, they gave us that other contract when we had the tour oh, that yeah. we were right into. Then, so I, I'm like, it's three, but we did two. But I feel like if we count the different cities we've done it, you've done more than I have. But I've done <laughs> like five, four cities and then all the stops on the tour, but I don't count those because I don't remember. <laughs> 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 it was all a blur. Um, but yes, yeah, so we met um, in the second iteration of Children of God. And I remember us being in a circle because we were, um, we always have this introductory kind of welcoming circle where we all introduce ourselves. And uh, that one was particularly special because um, we were taking a moment to honor Kathy Elliott. And because it was the first time that we had all really been gathered together since hearing the news. And I just remember how how beautifully you spoke of Kathy. And I just knew that this was gonna be a really cool adventure together because you just spoke so beautifully and your values like truly align with mine. So then we went on this grand journey of telling this really difficult, but you know, important story. Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask you about that. How, so we, we've done Children of God, people listening, Caitlin's done it three, three times, three times, three times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've done it twice. So we've, we've got to have that journey together a couple times. Um, but I always find it interesting when people come up to me and they're like, they're giving me like compliments on the show, but mm -hmm. it's under the guise of where they're like, oh, but like heavy show heavy show and I always wonder like how does that make you feel I know how it makes me feel how does it make you feel when they when they say that to you mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it makes me feel like a mixture of different things I feel like it part of me is like yes you know it is it is heavy but it's also really here's the thing so people who don't really walk our experiences will ask these questions and I don't necessarily know if they're prepared for the answer because mm -hmm. it's like everything that we do is so it makes sense to us so here's the thing we laugh a lot when we do the show <laughs> and it's hard to say that because people think that we're being insensitive like a lot of people have said to me they've said they're like, well, is that appropriate? And I'm like, it's actually a tool that we need to survive the contract. Oh yeah. And it's, we foster a lot of joy in that environment because the subject material is so heavy that it's, it's actually just not sustainable to carry that 24 seven. And I think that the first time I did Children of God, so if people don't no, Children of God is this, if, if you don't know, where have you been? And also, but, also, but also, if you don't know what Children of God is, it's a musical about residential schools. And it's very, it's, it's very, it's an accurate depiction. So therefore, it's a very traumatizing narrative. And so, what was I saying? <laughs> well, I just more when people come up and they're like, oh, heavy show, heavy show. And you're yes. talking about, yeah, we, we have a lot of laughter, a lot of jokes, a lot of joy. Um, yes. So we foster joy because it's an important and integral part to the piece because uh, the first time I did Children of God, I just like went in with the trauma. Like I was just, because my grandmother went to residential school, I, I am an intergenerational survivor. And so I was like, I really um, dug in mm -hmm. and was like, 
feeling my feels every time in that scene, Paternoster part two, yeah. uh, just really dove into it. But I found that like, it made me so, I was so depressed mm-hmm. and like so miserable. And so that was when we started to have conversations around emotional safety with the project of like, because we, we, because we don't just do like a two week tour. We tour for like three to four months. And that is so long to be, basically think about it. It's like, think about the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to you and having to relive that situation over and over again, but eight times a week, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, and that's how, so because of that, because theater is just generally an unsustainable environment of like maintaining emotional health, let's just go there. And so in light of that, you know, there are things that we have to do on the side to, to survive, to get by, because I'm an artist for sure. Like, but I'm also someone who likes to have a good time. I like dogs. I like going for walks. I like food. I, and when you're dealing with a subject matter, that's so, difficult what's so important is embracing the joy that's around you because it reminds you of why you're doing the work and while it's gratifying to be able to bring this story to the communities who need to hear it and that has been you know that's why I always come back because the work is so hard and my friends know this like every time children of God ends I'm like god I'm so exhausted I don't know if I can do it again Mm-hmm. And then I kind of get the resurgence of, of purpose as to why I tell the stories. But as I've done the tour multiple times, I've really started to understand the importance of prioritizing my joy. So, and I, and I don't usually have 20 minutes to be able to explain that to people. So when people come up to me and they're like, they're like, Ooh, heavy show, heavy show. I just go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't like say anything else. Totally. I feel everything that you're saying and then like for me too it's kind of like when they come up and like if I'm in a good mood and I'm usually in a good mood after we do the show like every time I am it's kind of like they're almost expecting me to still carry some of that weight that I left like in my dressing room no I left that like I dropped (laughs) as soon as I took off my costume that's the only way I could do it I dropped that I'm not thinking about the show until I get back here tomorrow especially now that I like we've done it a couple times I'm finding it easier and it also kind of like it bothers me a little bit when people come up to me and they're like oh heavy show heavy show I'm like well yeah it is a heavy show but like does anybody say that when they see spring awakening because like spring awakening kind of deals with the same subject matter like a lot there's a lot of parallels i'm like nobody says that about spring awakening and then for me i'm like is that all you're walking away from the show is it's just that it was heavy did you miss the joy did you miss the strength did you miss you know the mother um holding her kids together and did you miss like the ceremony at the end did you miss like like my favorite scene i love doing it is when the kids finally all get together because we're only on stage together paternoster and then that one scene at the end of act one and when we get to like you know have that memory and when we're all remembering and we shut and then the blanket turns into the drum to me like being on stage i just feel like that to me that just feels magic and like we're flying and it's a good way to launch us into the end of act one and then i was actually thinking about this the other day caitlin about Mm -hmm. like um just like the boys dressing room backstage uh during intermission and like yeah everybody has a tea we might make a joke but it's kind of like everybody almost i feel like has a collective moment where we all kind of breathe together because we know we're going into act two 
where stuff yeah. really hits the fan. And I was kind of thinking that, that we've all kind of subconsciously like synced up before act two to kind of be like, okay, yeah. and now we're going to act two, like the, the, the fun bits of the show are all done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One time where we get to like dance and have a good time. And then we're like, we're like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah but I always find them like heavy show. I'm like, yeah, it's heavy show, but like you don't say that about other shows that also deal with a lot of trauma. And it's kind of like, how come you're only so? It seems to me, I'm like, I hope that you're not only focused on like the trauma and how horrible it, it is, because I feel like the point of Children of God is yes, probably to teach people the truth of what happened, but at the same time to show to me what makes it how I motivate it for me to continue doing it it's like it shows indigenous resilience and indigenous strength by you know this family coming out and after many many years um reclaiming that and healing themselves at the end so they can start over almost like to me that's what the point of the story is as well as everything else it does and so that's what I focus on and also I'm like this as much as there's a lot of truths in it i'm so like this is a very watchable almost you can say like disney polished packaged of what happened at residential mm -hmm. well we had um there was somebody who spoke at one of our talkbacks and i will always remember this they were they said what happened to julia and tommy was best case scenario yeah I think that speaks to like the wider truth, but to answer the questions of like, you know, why white people be like that? And I think it's because, you know, they're so used to this narrative of our trauma being for their consumption. Mm -hmm. And they don't, there's, and I find that this is just kind of all around, like, yes, we are in the midst of figuring out how to presence ourselves in all of the history and still existing in a political system and a government that doesn't really believe in us having equitable rights like fucking access to healthcare, clean drinking water etc 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 i could talk for a million hours about yeah. and so how that translates into the art sector is how is white people just love to get off on our trauma and they really feel as though they've come to see Children of God and they've seen this one story and now that they've paid the ticket and come to see the show and made sure to come up to us and tell us how much they really resonated with the show, you know, they're like, I've done my job. And the thing is, is that there's a through line that people are missing. It's like, no, there's, there's a reciprocal nature to what we're doing is that we go through this process. We endure that trauma every night to show this to you so that you can activate and move forward and continue the cycle of creating reconciliation because we haven't, we haven't seen it yet. It's, yeah. and that's the thing is, and people just kind of minimize it to being just a show. And I'm like, it is not a show that is a living breathing. And there was, there was another speaker who at one of our talkbacks, there've been so many. And, and he said, he said, my sister is Julia. Mm -hmm. And that one broke me into a million pieces, but also this story is alive because it's a representative of all of this, this unhealed things that we care, the uh, unhealed weight that we carry with us. And so while it's, you know, it's a fictional narrative, but it's based on real events, but it's also, again, best case scenario of what happened. There is far more with, residential schools that 
we don't even we don't even go there in the show and so there's also this kind of funny thing when people say wow heavy show heavy show and i'm like yeah too bad we didn't put in the part about electric chairs i know seriously, you know like i almost want to call ryan murphy and be like you should do american horror story um boarding schools but what happened to the indigenous people here because there's like on it like i feel like that should just happen it should be maybe a hbo series and it can dive in and show some of the some of the stuff i mean i remember walking through a residential school and there was a tour and it was it was private it was me and cheyenne like years and years ago before we ever did children of god um and we were gone we went in there and they were showing us like um burnt parts of like the building where kids would try to hold up a match because if they would light it on fire everybody would get to go home for a couple days which is just heartbreaking and then they took us downstairs where they said that um they would have, they would select half the kids, they'd split them up, half the kids would get oatmeal and the other one would get a supplement because they were experimenting on them. And it was just horrible. And then if they were caught sharing food, it's just, it's just like the children of God is, is very watchable is what I feel like saying. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how, of course, like we don't know how to respond when somebody comes up in heavy show and says, and says that. Yeah. But, and but, I think that's, that's something that, I know in the playwriting process for Corey, like I know that that was a big part of the conversation because, you know, we all know that the show only really touches on like, like 15% oh, of what God. actually went on. But, you know, at the end of the day, like he had to say, like, I have to create something that's not just. Oh, yeah. You couldn't do it. Because also the <laughs> week show is. Long version, a week long version of Children of God where we're like yeah. <laughs> for four hours every night. Oh. Yeah, and also, I was just like, as an actor, like, I would never want to be in a show like that. Like, oh, God, I don't want yeah. to, I don't want to showcase that for white people to potentially just be like, meh, you know, and that's the whole thing is like, I believe, I believe Children of God has provided a lot of healing for Indigenous communities. Like, I know that a lot of Indigenous people have come to see the show and they've really see, the opportunity to see themselves on stage has been really, um, has had a long lasting impact. However, the show is mostly geared towards educating white people. Like that is what the show is for. That's why we do them in these like big major cities because it's, it's a narrative that we already know. As indigenous people, we already know what happened in residential school. Like we're, are, we're still dealing with the ramifications of that. Like I, I, don't need, I don't need people to tell me, oh, tough story, tough story, tough story. Cause I'm still trying to grapple with the fact that I exist in a cycle because my grandmother was traumatized in residential school. So it's like, I already know. So I think that when people ask, you know, when they say heavy show, heavy show, I'm just like, I don't think you're ready. Oh yeah, I'm like, it's heavier. It actually is. Yeah, it's heavier. It's heavier than people think. We'll get back to talking about uh, your journey with Urban Inc. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask Caitlin, when was the first time you were bitten by the theater bug? Okay, so I have, I have two answers for this. Um, one of them is kind of my general introduction to just theater performing arts in general, because for me, um, telling stories through song has always been the way that I can properly and accurately express myself. There are different modes of expression, and I felt like I had a lot of barriers growing up in terms of like, how do I properly express myself, but I can't really do it through verbalizing. Mm. Cause I actually like for most of my childhood, I actually struggled to verbalize a lot of my emotions. And I found that um, singing 
was the only way that I could actually feel what I was feeling and like move through it. Um, and I didn't grow up in my indigenous community, but I always felt like that was an integral part. And once I kind of fell into the world of indigenous theater, that was like really where I, I connected the dots and I really realized that our, our songs are healing and, you know, they provide, and there are things in our languages that aren't in the English language that we can't mm-hmm. properly express. So I always, from a really young age, I really understood the fact that I was different and I didn't really know in what way that that meant because tell that story using my voice in the way that it's meant to, that was the only way that I felt like I could connect with anyone. When, so, did start, when do you feel like these feelings started first coming? Like, when did you, like, did you feel like you noticed it, like, around the time you were eight? Was it, like, there when you were 15? Did it come in waves? Um, yeah, it certainly did come in waves. I think yeah. that uh, it probably started as early as four. Yeah. Because the, when I was four years old was the first instance that I was made to realize at preschool that I was, I was different. And the way that I communicate my emotions and the way that I communicate was different. And um, oftentimes, like, our public education system is fucked. And, like, they didn't really know what to do with me. So I was often labeled as, like, the, tr- the, the problemed kid, like, the troubled child. And really, you know, all I needed was for someone to sit down and sit with me and, and try to understand the way that I see the world. And I think that performing arts was one, like, motive for me to express myself. So I kind of... I'd always been singing. I'd always really liked musicals and cause musicals were kind of the closest thing that I could get to understand this like meaning of storytelling through song. Mm-hmm. And it was the only kind of, it was the only language that I had. So I, I fiercely pursued that impulse. What was the first musical that stuck out to you in a way where you're like, Ooh, that, you know, that lit that fire inside of you. Mm-hmm. What was the first one? I think it must, I think it was Wicked. Okay, like, good. I thought you were going to say cats are like, I don't know, like, well, what's one on roller skates? <laughs> roller skates? Oh my God, what's one on roller skates? It's Andrew Lloyd Webber, Starlight Express. Starlight Express, oh my God. <laughs> you imagine if somebody yeah. that, you know, I, uh, if they won a Tony and they're like, I just want to thank Andrew Lloyd Webber for writing Starlight Express, it launched my career. <laughs> <laughs> we, we shouldn't laugh because maybe that did happen and if that did happen to you we're not laughing at, you're you, we're so, laughing at you if that happened to you you're so valid I like, like, if that happens to you can you be my friend because i want <laughs> no but okay but uh, no let's backtrack a little bit okay yes, so, oh my God, I'm so yes, yes, yes. when i was younger i actually was obsessed with cats and i have a soft spot for cats everyone in the theater industry can come at me i don't care but the thing is, though, is that, okay, imagine, like, six-year-old me, little teeny tiny baby Caitlin, not much smaller than I am now, and, like, sitting alone in my room, singing memory to myself. You watched the movie, and it, like, the, the Broadway movie thing? Yeah, I watched it, too. I saw a high school production of Cats. That was my first musical ever, and I was blown away that there were people my age doing that, because it is a hard musical to do, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah. need to be very talented to be in it, however you might feel about it. So, like, yeah, I don't think people will come, at, come after you. That's fine. No, and, and I think it, it does carry, like, a bit of a deeper meaning because, like, obviously now as an adult, I look at Cats the Musical and I'm kind of like, huh. You're but, like, I really want to be in it. <laughs> but also, like, 
would love to please hire me oh my god i'm i'm mad that i wasn't i didn't get an audition for the movie i don't care i I don't care how the cgi turned out i wanted an audition also like (laughs) i feel like it's like so bad that it's good like that was that was what i walked out of it with i was like i had a great time watching cats i felt like too i'm like people when people were saying oh it was this it was that i'm like what did you expect what did yeah, you really like, like they're people you're not gonna go see a musical with puss in boots though i would i would love that if somebody wants to do that that would be cute i would love that but it's not gonna be like you know what i mean what were people thinking like expecting yeah, yeah exactly and so but i think that um yeah i think cats was well first of all it was the first uh musical that i was exposed to but the song memory you know we all love but it's I a beautiful do- song it's a beautiful song and I think that being so young and like trying to grapple with like a deep emotional understanding of like feeling like you don't belong mm. I like I like identified with Grizabella I was about to say that but I didn't want to though like I would sit in my room like six-year-old me be like touch me it's so easy to leave me all alone in my memory and <laughs> just like and that was me, like, drama, like, we loved it. But I think that I loved musical theater because I felt so much at such a young age and had nowhere to express it. So I think that musicals kind of, like, was like, come here. We, we have big emotions. Come come here. Come, yep. come stay with me for a bit. You would and be a great Grizabella when you're, like, old enough to do that. Yeah. I and it's just, cats, so it doesn't matter how tall or short they are, they're cats, people. Exactly. Hire me. I'm ready. But, like, um, and then, and I think Wicked was was the same, it, you know, like, Alphaba being, you know? Like, I, you know? I'm not gonna lie, it was my first Broadway, I, I saw shows in Toronto, but it was my first Broadway musical was Wicked. Yeah. And like that was my first. And like it, it is it is a spectacle. Of course, I'm obsessed with it, like it like everybody else cuz it's so and anyway, I feel you hard. <laughs> but it's like cuz I didn't so yeah, I didn't grow up with my community. My mom was adopted and so we actually have had to do a lot of work to reclaim our identity and we actually just we met our blood family, which is so exciting and like really so I think for, but most of my childhood, like I felt this emptiness, I felt this void. I knew I was different, but I didn't know how to express it. And growing up with an adopted white family as my extended family, it just really raised a lot of really big questions that my teeny tiny like childhood brain could not understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, so I think that seeing Wicked was actually one of the first times that I saw myself because here's Elphaba, who's green, who's different. She doesn't know why she is. And she has this, and then she's told, you know, actually the song, The Wizard and I is the one that like breaks me because she's like, did that really just happen? Have I actually understood this weird quirk I've tried to suppress or hide is a talent that could help me meet the wizard. And that's like kind of how I feel about like my journey as an artist is like, this thing that I've been told my whole life that I should be ashamed of, like I should be ashamed of being indigenous, looking indigenous is not a good thing. Like I remember that being a really young, and cause I knew I was indigenous and I would tell people, but I was often told that that wasn't a good thing. Mm. And um, I was deeply ashamed of being 
you know, having brown skin or browner skin. I'm light skinned, but still a little brown. And, um, and I was, yeah, I was ashamed. And so I think that this, this, um, fictional character of Alphaba, like embracing the fact that like being born green is what's actually given her the powers to achieve her own authenticity, I think really like struck me. And, and I remember being like, that's the kind of roles that I want to play. Like, so, so the double edge uh, to this, to this question is, um, so the first time that I kind of saw myself was like in Cats and in uh, Wicked, but the first time that I really saw myself in like the full extent was when I did Kamlupa, because it was the first time, and I had done, I had done Indigenous theater before, Children of God, Les Filles du Roi, but it was, um, the role of Micaiah was really just the first time that it had really been presenced, like the emotional and spiritual um, journey that comes from within. And like the, again, like I'm pausing because I don't really have language where it's like, you're trying to presence both world, like all of the worlds that I walk in at the same time. And I think that it's the only show that I've been a part of that really like touches on that. And, and this was something that we actually talked about a lot in Kamlupa is we talked about Micaiah's moments because Micaiah would have moments in the show where she's re like, she loses her breath and she's kind of like grappling. And a lot of um, people came up to me and said like, oh, I resonate with that because I have I have anxiety, like I have a panic disorder. And I was like, yes, so amazing that you've made that connection uh, with yourself. But we were talking about how it's more than just this clinical term. And again, I'm not here to say that if you identify, like I know that mental health is a very real thing. And if those are, and if labels are important to you, then by all means, that is incredible. But it was the first time that somebody articulated that this losing my breath, not being able to breathe, um, not being able to think properly was really just my spirit guides trying to come in and trying to show me the way. And I just wasn't open and receptive to it. Mm. Um, and that's, and again, like, I'm not going to describe this perfectly. So viewers, please don't come at me. I'm imperfect. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I think, um, and Micaiah, like, fiercely con choosing to continue to show up and to continue to do this work bravely to try and understand this calling that she doesn't really have words to. Um, just if really. People don't know, sorry, if people don't know, um, Caitlin's talking about Kamlupa that she was in is written by Kim Harvey. Yeah. Um, I'm sure when the pandemic's left, it'll be coming to a city near you. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it has to. Oh my gosh, it's definitely going to. I'm sure that's going to happen. Yeah, so Kamlupa is, um, so it's Kamlupa, an indigenous matriarch story. Um, and it's, it's a show about, yeah, about Makaya and her sister Kalana, who are two silk um, urban indigenous women who have been displaced from their culture. And Makaya feels a drive to, to reclaim. She feels this calling and she's going on this really really brave spirit journey and so through through the motive of theater you really get to see those moments where she is really connected and and what's calling to her 
Um, yeah. yeah, Caitlin, I just wanted to ask you a question too. Like, can you maybe elevate elevator pitch, but like it's a long elevator ride. Um, so take yeah. it. Um, yeah. Elevator pitch to like, why so many reasons, but like uh, compared to like um, Children of God, how is Kamloopa different in the terms of how it addresses like indigenous trauma and indigenous struggles? Mm-hmm. Um, it's different because it actually shows you the through line. And I think that that's like we were kind of chatting about before is like people have this idea of displacing indigenous like uh, trauma and resilience. Uh, they're like, oh, it's in the past, right? Like it's something mm-hmm. that's in the past. They don't see it as something that we're currently grappling with. Yeah. And I think that Kamlupa does a really good job of like understanding like how this urban indigenous person is still you know, going on that journey of like reuniting with their self because we still exist in a world that forces us to displace ourselves. And so seeing um, an indigenous woman, because so the opening moment of the show is so Micaiah has this, um, I want to say like visit with spirit and then, and she's starting to deal with like the grappling, uh, like the pain, the joy, the anger, like all of it together in, in what it is to experience herself. And then she wakes up from it. And then she like desperately goes to try and like grab water. And then she goes and like spritzes water on her face and she sits there. And then her sister walks out and goes, what are you doing? And she's like, I don't know. And then they just kind of carry on and have this conversation. And, and that's what I mean when I say that I see myself because that's the shit that I'm dealing with behind the scenes, mm. and, but no one has bared witness to. So people have bared witness to the history, like residential schools, all of those things, but we're talking about the day-to-day effects and how they're deeply nuanced and they're deeply individual to every indigenous person. Yeah. And I think that right now, in terms of indigenous theater, like we're in this, where we're just kind of troping us. Like we're just these historical figures, but no one's talking about the current Yes. Ongoing. And then also, also equally highlighting the resilience and the joy. And the thing is, is that, and this is what Kim says, this is what I say, is that focus less on the trauma that I've been through. Focus more on the fact that I'm still here, that Mm -hmm. I'm still showing up, that we are still continuing to try and educate you on what is going on so that we can walk together in a good way. Stop focusing on that. Don't, get off on our trauma focus on the fact that we are still trying to reach you we are using art as a motive to share our stories with you so that you can mobilize yeah it's it's that idea too of like actively listening and like yeah are we listening to respond or are we just listening to listen because that's a teaching that i get reminded of because i'm a bad listener (laughs) Uh, well we're all bad listeners to some degree and it's like are we actually listening you know and and i feel like caitlin like it to me it's like i know there are experiences and stuff that i felt and that i've had that i just cannot describe but i know like i can show you and like like and like i feel like theater is really good for that where it's like i might not be as strong at articulating my thought process articulating my emotions but i can show you and then like we'll figure it out Mm-hmm. In that way, I feel like theater is really, really good for that. I feel like that's so important for people to realize too. It's like I know for me as an indigenous audience member, 
I want to see people in modern day settings. I want to see, you know, that person who left their community and now lives in the city because that was me, you know, like, and you're so right that, that we don't, we don't look at like, what does it mean to be a modern day indigenous person? Because it's a thing, like you just perfectly said, we have to walk multiple paths or navigate multiple circles and we have to do them all at once because it's really complicated and it's really hard so yeah um if if um uh, toronto could you get camelupa over here please <laughs> and and here's the thing that i also want to highlight is that you know here we are like two indigenous folk just trying to understand and like that's why it's so vulnerable to be on a podcast because I don't have all the answers, you know, oh. it's just like, we are so, and that's what I mean when it means bearing, bearing witness means that it's like giving opportunities for people to be the full extent of who they are. And yeah. what I've been really struggling with lately in terms of, so like in light of, of Black Lives Matter and in light of um, this like really intense movement of, of truth telling and accountability, I find that I, have been struggling because people are still, the art sector is still witnessing me under the tropes of their limited understanding of who indigenous people are. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I'm either being forced to like overperform my indigeneity or undervalue it. And there's no in between because there's a, it's, it's like the selective diversity trope where it's like, you know, we want to hire you so that we can get our fancy grants and we can get our money because having you on our stage, like fills those boxes for government funding bodies to give us money. But then as soon as you bring up like real issues of like how you're actually still not being honored, how you're still not being seen, you know, we don't want that. And it's, it's deeply troubling because and, and what a lot of um, theater people have said to me is, well, they gave you the job. Isn't that enough? And I'm like, no, because this way of storytelling is not designed for, it's not safe for me to show up as the full extent of who I am. Yeah. Like what I learned at a very young age, at the age of four, of being told that the way that I process the world is different and therefore pun like punishable and not okay that still translates to today. And even though like, I'm not four anymore, like I'm a fully grown adult, but I still carry that, that deep pain of understanding that it's sometimes it's not okay to be the full extent of who I am. And I think that my, my darker skinned community members really understand that on a level that I can't even understand yeah. because even, cause as a mixed race and light skinned indigenous woman, I will never walk in the shoes of those who are always at a risk for physical harm. Yep. Just by existing in the world, looking the way that they look like. We've seen it with everything going on with the RCMP, with the police. And so all of that being said, we have to listen more. We have to be more open. We have to leave room for those nuances because it's not okay for me to represent those communities. Like I will do what I need to, I, I will work really hard to fight for them, but they also have to be in the room. It can't just be me. It can't just be, you know, it just can't, we have people who are in the art sector for a reason, but a lot of us like do come from a westernized upbringing. And those of us who don't, don't often get listened to. And that's the thing. That's the other really hard truth about going at this is that I have 
even though I grew up with that internal struggle and I grew up, you know, knowing I was different, like doing it, but I still grew up in a Westernized society. I still know how to speak the white man's language. So I'm often hired because they think that I'm not going to bring up those issues because they think, cause I'm, oh God, I hate this word, but like I'm using big finger quotes, educated. Yeah. They're like, they're like, oh, you know, maybe she won't challenge us. And I'm like, oh, ho, ho. I'm actually a secret double agent because I know how to speak the white man's language and I'm going to do it and call you out on your bullshit. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's the hard thing too. It's like, we have to go through these colonized systems, uh, these Western systems that often uh, don't acknowledge that we've even existed. And so it's like, once we achieve going through successfully these systems, which are really hard, it's like, then when we're in like a professional environment, we're still not treated like, like, like say this, say if there was a white version of me, um, uh, mm-hmm. went through everything that I've been through, say they were like my genetic twin, except for they were, they were, they were Caucasian, they were white. Um, they would have, they would be listened to way more than I would ever be listened to in a room. Even yeah. if we're both sitting there and we're both called Dylan, but they would, I, I, I witnessed that too. And just something else you said, because people probably know this by now, there's a lot of pictures, like I'm growing my hair. And before I used to get the, um, oh, well, like, you look, you look pretty much everything except for Ojibwe, because I'm Ojibwe, um, everything except for being an actual indigenous. And then, you know, when I tell people I'm indigenous, it's like, the, oh, oh, where it's like, what do you mean by your oh? Like, you can really hear their passive aggressive and like their racism really shows in that oh. And now that my hair is long, longer and like, say if I put in like these beautiful earrings, I'm sure everybody's seen, they're in my headshot that my sister gave to me. Mm-hmm. I get looks. I've never gotten looks before. People are now um, intimidated or afraid of my presence on the sidewalk, which never used to exist before. And this is just for me growing my hair. And I, I see it clear as day. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's it's baffling and, and exciting. And it's like, yeah, like you said, it's probably safer for me to exist in Canada if I cut my hair shorter which is, which is, which is totally unacceptable. But yeah, it's, it's, it's still so true. And it's like, I'm, I'm bearing witness to that now as my hair gets longer, it is more dangerous and people feel like they need to protect themselves from me. And it's like, I'm just an indigenous man walking to the street to go get, to go get like, you know, some snacks at Shoppers Drug Marts. Like, I'm not, like, it is, it's a lot. And I don't think people will realize their immediate reaction probably. Well, that's the other part, like, you know, and we can talk about that, like, there, that's the other part of Children of God, is when we're off the clock, and we are gathered together, like, in public spaces, like, there is danger. Yeah. There's danger to a bunch of Indigenous folk gathered going to a bar together. Yeah. Because, and, and again, like, I, I bear witness to those moments, because, like, when I'm with a group of white people, oftentimes, like, I won't, experience the same things because I'm mixed race and light skinned that I I do have that privilege of like having access to my physical safety some of the time and and I really bear witness to those moments there was there was a moment in Banff when I was doing Pawaga McBath and it was like it was so messed up and I just remember like the rage that like went through my body and just Oh my gosh. And I'm, and so there's this really like intricate understanding, at least for me, that a big learning curve for me has really been understanding, like doing some deep introspection of myself and my own like presence and what that means and what 
space I do occupy, what spaces I don't occupy. And, and I take that really seriously. I really, because I know that people are more likely to listen to me because of my lighter skin. I know that they're more likely to listen to me because I grew up doing public speaking yeah. for a living. So I learned how to articulate. I learned how to coherently string my thoughts together because, but it was also, it was never really a fully accurate portrayal of who I was. And that's who I was. (laughs) (laughs) Song in the show, if you don't know Children of God. Song in the show. You know, it's just, that's how my brain works. But um, so trying to tie that together is that, so little me expressed myself authentically, was told, no, don't do that. Learned the white man's way, learned how to do public speaking, learned how to speak in the way that was deemed acceptable to people. But now I'm in the process of unlearning that and bearing witness to to my full truth and trying to like walk those paths together and um hopefully in order to better our communities and to better support because the art sector the most frustrating thing is that like we're not even touching on what's important right now yeah because we like our people still don't have equitable rights to exist on this land and so and everything that we do is about that like they like arts people will always say oh don't make it about that i'm like it is about that it's always about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to know too, what was your experience? I know it, like, what was your experience like um, going into study musical theater at a post-secondary institution with all of these things that we just talked about for, my, yeah. for our listeners? Just, I hope it gave you a lot of context, but like, what was it like for you now going into a musical theater world uh, in that type of way? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Well, I think that you know, the way that I, the way that I shared it with everyone on the podcast, like my relationship to storytelling through song is, um, like I have a very unique approach to how I can access that storytelling. And I felt like that was really stifled in my, in my process at theater school. And when I went to school, I went to Capilano University and I got my diploma in musical theater. And so my cohort, we were actually, um, I think at least 50% of us were people of color. And I remember being so excited on day one, like I looked around and I was so excited to be with this group of people, but the whole experience overall was such a letdown because we had an all white um, instructors and no people of color. And they constantly told us that, you know, we were different. They said, you know, oh, you're not like, they would point at the white girl in our class and it's like, she's going to work a lot. And then point at the people of color in our class and it's like, and you're not going to work because you're different. So you just have to learn to accept it. And here's the thing is that I don't know what happened and how art did not become innovative. And that was my whole thing. Like when I was in theater school, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I understand that like it's a Eurocentric style of theater. I understand that these are the ways. And so this person is, is because they fit into that Eurocentric mold. I understand how they have privilege and I understand how I don't. I was like, but isn't, isn't the point of all of this to be innovative? Like, isn't that the point? And I was just like, why are we making such strict rules and structures? And I know this isn't like helpful to say because it's so general, but like, And so when I was in theater school, I just, I was so baffled because I was like, but aren't you in charge of like recreating the rules? Yeah. 
Because like how we tell stories, like why? Aren't you, didn't you, wait, aren't you the person who made the rules? Why are we, wait, like, did you not make these rules? Aren't you, aren't you the person who I am paying thousands of dollars to teach me how to be a professional artist? Yeah. And you're going to, and I spent, I spent like $25,000 to be told, oh, you're never going to work because you're. That's the thing. I want to highlight that because there was one teacher at my school, old school, who I guess, I don't know what was going on. I'm sure a student um, said something and blah, blah, blah. And this teacher was probably having a day because it was said about them or something. But I remember them being kind of upset at the idea of what you just said, because maybe it was said to them where the student then said, well, what am I paying you for? And that teacher took a lot of offense to that. And it's kind of like, well, that's a, a valid point because what is this student auditioned for your program? You think they're good enough to be in, they're in. And they're telling you that, you know, this isn't working for me. And like, I'm being graded on this acting technique that comes from a Eurocentric point of view. And I'm a, you know, I'm an indigenous person. I'll just use myself as an example for, you know, um, whatever. As an indigenous person, that's not gonna, that's not gonna mash with me well. I'm sure there's valuable in me learning that, like learning like it does not work for me or learning this little bit, this little bit works for me. But it's like, why am I now being graded and compared to, you know, Eurocentric students who have that European background? Of course, they're gonna be better at it than I am. Where it's like, yeah. let's, let's try and do something, you know, um, through an Ojibwe perspective and then be graded on that. Like they would never do that, but it's okay when, you know, when we're not white, that that's how we're then trained and graded. And like you said, I feel like for me at school, in terms of like Rep Lab, we had a class called Rep Lab where they assigned you songs. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember getting assigned like all uh, the, the loving songs, the leading men, loving songs, blah, blah, blah. The, yeah. the boring songs to be honest the ballad <laughs> they're kind of boring they are and and being told like these are the songs for your voice but you'll never play this role and then i'm like i'm so confused and then like you would get but told by some not yeah because you get why some, not <laughs> some teachers would be like but you will play this role then some teachers would be like oh you'll never play this and then my classmates chiming in saying well dylan you'll never be in this you'll never be in this i remember caitlin um I had a callback and like people need to understand I came from the reserve. This was my dream. Like this was my, I made it on Canadian idol moment or, or like the X factor moment my entire time at school, you know, yes. that feeling, it really was that big of a deal to me. And then I remember finally like thinking when our season was announced, thinking the musicals, I was like, okay, I'll probably be in spring awakening. Cause that one's like an open whatever thing. Uh, and I was, and then the rest of the season, I was like, I do not think, I would be cast in any of these musicals from the creative teams who are coming in if they did not have to cast me. So like I was already upset with the season announced because I'm like, well, there's nothing in it for me. It's not all about me. There's 40 something people in my year. It's fine. I got a call back for Chicago for Amos, which I would have nailed that role. The guy who ended up getting it totally deserved it, did a great job. Uh, it was my buddy, Calvin. Calvin, you were amazing. But it's like, I remember getting the call back and there was one person who was really racist to me my entire time at Sheridan. Um, and he said to me, oh, well, Dylan, you only got a callback because it's a school thing. You would never get a callback. Like, uh. so blatantly. And, like, I just saw my name listed. I got a callback. And then he's like, you would, you would never get a callback in a real-world context. And I just remember that destroyed me. Like, that destroyed me. That hurt my feelings. That made me go into my callback second-guessing every choice and second-guessing and made me feel like they just gave me the callback because of whatever reason, which wasn't true. But it's like, 
again, like, again, like I maybe could have got that part and who knows, maybe it would have been different, but it's like, I didn't even try as hard because I was already deterred because my classmates were saying, well, Dylan, you would never be Amos. I think I would be Amos. I'd be a killer Billy Flynn if anybody is looking, um, just saying, but it's like, yeah, it's like that stuff. And did you do experience that in college? People telling you when your shows came up, oh, well, Caitlin, you won't be in that one, but maybe you'll be in the ensemble in this one. Yeah. I sure, I sure did. Yeah, yeah. And there's only, and, and like Dylan said, like, I can only really speak on behalf of my own experience in theater yep. school. Um, because I did go to school with um, other, other BIPOC artists, a lot of them endured things that were far worse than I did because, uh, because I am mixed race and do have light skin. So I just want to acknowledge that first and foremost, that I'm not, um, mine is not like the pinnacle of what happened. It was just like one part of uh just the overall uh violent experience we had in theater yeah. school um cause, because first of all here's the thing is that that should have been um that should have been addressed like what you went through with that with that student being super racist to you that's something that should be addressed and and be held to the same standard as bullying harassment and that's what institutions are trying to work towards but like i don't honestly believe Did them. you want to know something i don't care if i said they came and saw children of god too they did See, not congratulate me or say anything. So did my teachers. My teachers saw Children of God. They saw. Was it wasn't my teachers, but it was that student that was really racist. Oh, me. okay. Yeah. I, I know irony, eh? But I digress. But it, yeah, and and my teachers have come to see Children of God, Lefi Dubois, and they're just like, we always knew that you were gonna make it. I'm like, oh, fuck you! You told me that I wasn't gonna work. I that's hate the you. worst, Caitlin. That Stop makes it. me so mad when people try to claim your success as if they were a part of it. Where it's like, Ugh. yeah, I'm like pretty sure you just traumatized me for three years, but you know. Yeah. You know, oh so yeah, whatever. but yeah. Maybe the, I think maybe honestly, for in terms of the way we're trained maybe because they were trained quite horribly themselves, I can only imagine how worse it was that they feel like they need to make it that way for us. But it's kind of like, you know, whoever abused you in theater school is probably long gone. You don't need to abuse other people coming to theater school. Like That's, that's the other thing is like, that's something that I ran into um, in my professional career. So, so first I'll answer uh, the question about like what I experienced in theater school. Um, yeah. It was a lot of uh, microaggressive things because mm -hmm. like I mentioned, you know, like not, yeah, I just like struggled to express myself accurately. And I felt like um, a lot of my masterclasses, I felt like they weren't really there to listen to me because anytime I would express that I needed like a minute to think about, because when I receive direction from people, it goes through about like 18 filters before I can come out with something that actually makes sense to me. And because of that, I was kind of labeled as being dumb mm. and like stupid because I couldn't process things properly or properly. That's a word. You want to know a word that grinds my gears? It's <laughs> like people being like, being more um, when they're like, I guess proper. Proper is a word that like I hate because they're just like, there's a proper way of doing this. I was like, there, there's no proper way to do anything. Like that's the way that you do it, but it doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. I think, so yeah, I was labeled as being not very intelligent because I couldn't process things in the way that they were explaining it to me. Anytime I expressed concerns or I had questions, I was shut down, I was bullied. Um, 
I also have, I also have a panic disorder. And so, and again, you know, I, I didn't really have words to be able to articulate how it felt, but you know, they would, they would often traumatize me in master classes where I would, I would fully have a panic attack and they thought it was like this like emotional actor breakthrough. Oh, and I, that's and I, so disgusting. That is so disgusting. gross. Yeah. Oh my God. Like they were like, we're finally reaching you. I'm like, no, you've actually just elicited like a trauma response. And yeah. now I have to go and deal with this for the next week. So that, thanks I'm a lot. So glad. I'm so glad you said that because I, I feel like that happens so often. And then it's like, we're encouraged and applauded. Like now you're a good actor because we put you in an emotionally disastrous place. Go, go and be brilliant. And you're like, this is not healthy. <laughs> no. And, and again, like, that's what I learned in my professional career is that like, we don't have to do that. And theater school it just has this like toxic power structure where they're like, you're worthless. You mean nothing. So you have to give your entire soul to the industry and who cares about how you feel because yeah. you're never going to work. And, and I'm, you know, I'm lucky to know that that's not necessarily the case all around. Like, I think that it's still rampant, but I think that there, there is hope, you know, there's hope in the children of gods and the urban angst of the world, rumble theater, um, just to name a few, Universal Limited in Vancouver, you know, there are people who who have had experiences like mine and are looking to break those cycles and change those narratives. So so in my professional career, another thing that happened, this actually happened a lot to me and Peter Pan, was that, um, for those of you who don't know, I shared a spicy post about my experience in Peter Pan and... Uh, Anyway, it was a, it was a traumatizing experience for sure. And, uh, but one thing that I was told like often through the whole process, cause I was frequently standing up for myself. I was standing up for my right to exist with dignity and my right to my boundaries and was constantly pressured and intimidated into doing unsafe things anyway. And the argument that was often used against me was like, well, when I was a young director or sorry, when I was a, when I was a young actor, like you, you know, I didn't get to stand up for myself. Like my directors threw stuff at me. That's and I was like, like so and, I was like, that's, and that's not okay. <laughs> and also, I'm not responsible because I'm here to break that cycle. I'm not interested in subscribing to this. Anymore. I would turn so red if somebody said that because I'd be embarrassed for them because I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I don't see how that's any of my business and how that applies to us in our relation and working right now. Like and that sounds like a you thing that shouldn't be like, you know how they say leave stuff at the door. And like, I feel like we get gaslit, but I feel like the intention behind that would be like, leave your abusive behavior from when you were younger at the door. So you don't re-traumatize young artists. Like that should be left at the door. Well, that was the hope. And actually I was told to leave my trauma at the door because I had, um, because there was one, there was one time where it got so bad that I had a really bad panic attack. And they were like, they were like, you're interrupting the work, you know, so you have to leave your trauma at the door. And I'm like, how about you choose bravery and choose to actually listen to what I'm saying to you, which means that we have to, you know, figure out a way to coexist in which we can both have dignity and respect instead of inflicting your trauma onto me, like mm -hmm. of growing up in an abusive industry like why don't you be a part of the change but i think that so many people like it's a cycle so mm -hmm. many people are still so i get that all the time like i get that from 
you know, I get, oh my God, my tummy just gurgled. (laughs) 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 My tummy is here to speak. Your Um, tummy's like, oh God, not again. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, oh God, haven't we already been through this? But um, I think that, yeah, it's it's a constant cycle. So I get I get that from people from the older generation all the time, especially recently. Like a lot of people have been messaging. They're like, "Well, you should just be lucky that you even have the opportunities that you have." Because when I was younger, like that didn't even. And I was like, "No, no, no, I know." But like that's the reciprocal nature of, of what mm-hmm. we do. Like, and that's for Indigenous folk. Like that's just that's just what we do. We yeah. make the world a better place for the next generation and that's another disparity that that white people don't understand is that the work that i'm doing is always for the next generation so in 20 years when a young indigenous actor is like yo things are so easy for me like i don't have to do any emotional labor at all and i'm like yes queen yes you know and that's i don't feel resentment about that at all and like, why would I feel resentful that the work that I did has had so much of an impact well, that these people get to walk in a better way? Exactly. That's the other thing. And that's like a, a teaching that's been given me many times where it's like, what kind of ancestor do you want to be for the people that are coming after you? And like, I think Indigenous people subconsciously are thinking about that all the time because I, I, I know I feel a responsibility anytime I'm even going into an audition. Like, what if I book this and then like one little, you know, one little native boy or girl or whoever comes and sees this and it makes a difference for them. Like, I, I may never know if it ever does, but what if that happens because somebody did that for me? And, you know, that's like the one hope that I hope in my 20, 30, 40, however long I live career that I can do that for one other person so they can keep making space. And yeah, I mean, like I think about those teachers who are now getting fired for being abusers and it's kind of like, that's the legacy you left behind, unfortunately. You left a legacy of traumatizing young artists and who knows how many fires you snuffed out before they could really shine and meet their, meet their own potential. I mean, my gosh, if I didn't have my culture, I don't think I would have ha- had the longevity, the little longevity that I had in this industry. I probably would have given up. And I, I just can't imagine, like, what if I, I gave up and I believed those teachers who didn't believe in me? It's like I, I needed more time after school to be a human and grow and develop my artistry. And I feel like we were told, like, if you don't work, like, right away after you're graduated, you're done. Yeah, I know. Kamlupa, Kamlupa saved my life tenfold. Children of God, I remember Bardock, Michelle Bardock, hi Michelle, um, when her and I were talking one time, the first time we did Children of God, and she's like, oh, so you do musicals all the time? I was like, no, this is my first one. Nobody will hire me for a musical. I don't get hired for musicals. Like, I never get hired for musicals. The only musicals I've ever done are with Urban Inc., and that's fine. I love Corey's music. I will be in all their musicals as long as they're asking me for the rest of my life and I'll have a great, amazing career doing that. But it's like, kind of like, yeah, it's like if it wasn't for Corey, I would have zero musicals credits on my resume. Yeah, and like, and also with me, like, I think that, I think that I would still be working in the non-Indigenous musical theater sector. Like, I think my work would be few and far between, but I think I would still be working, but I would still be so deeply unhappy with myself. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, a pinnacle that I have really reached in my artistic career thus far, is that on paper, I've had all of this success, finger quote, again, success. Yep. 
of touring and being a part of these amazing productions, but there was something really wrong. And it was the fact that I wasn't leaving space for me to express myself authentically and in a way that's meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of advocacy and work to create change and have faced a lot of barriers with that. But the biggest teaching that I've learned is that the revolution starts from within. And for me, it's like, you know, and as an actor, like it's, it kind of puts us in a rock and a hard place because, you know, our work is contingent upon other people hiring, but now I'm really starting to do the deep work to understand my own self and do that healing on my own. So that, um, and also doing that deep work to see in what other ways I can mobilize in terms of not just being an actor, like what other things can I do that bring me joy and bring me healing that can still contribute to this, but in uh, a way that, that honors the way that I work. Because um, I had a very, I went through a very, very dark experience when I was in Powag and Macbeth, um, coming off of Peter Pan, which was a very traumatizing experience for me. And I just reached a point where I was like, I can't go on like this anymore. It's, it's just not sustainable. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, literally I'm not going to survive this. I'm not going to survive living in this way and not honoring the way that I see the world and the way that I walk with all of my ancestors and the way that I, I see the world because I was, I was put on this earth in the way that I am for a reason. And, um, you know, I can't bear the brunt of, of not honoring that. So I feel like that's the trap in our training too, because we're told be yourself, Caitlin, be yourself. And then when you actually start being yourself, they're like, Oh no, 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 not like that. Yeah. Again, the selective diversity, right. Where they're like, Oh, we hired you because you're different and we want to celebrate you. And like, that was Peter Pan. They were like, we want to celebrate you as an indigenous woman, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, cool. Here are my boundaries. And they were like, yeah, no. They're like, yeah, no, but you don't get boundaries, Caitlin. We're just going to do the way we want to. And if you cannot fit into this mold, then you're difficult. <laughs> yeah, then you're difficult to work with or you're, and it's so Can messed I up. Ask you, I, I don't yeah. want yeah. to pressure you to, to, you know, share more than you have to or, or like share your trauma so you don't feel like you have to. But I was wondering, because of course I read, I'm your friend, I read the post, I, I followed along and I'm sure other people who are listening have, have read your post. Yeah. And I'm wondering too, what has been, have you seen an incentive to change at all? I don't know. Is it selective again? Would you see it like you feel yeah. like it's selective? That's it's disappointing. Selective, it's extractive. It's um That's you know, yeah. I don't understand why I maybe I do understand. I struggle with it too. But it's kind of like I, I can ask you this. Oh my gosh. What? Oh my God, because you're right here and I can just ask you and you're my friend. Hello. Um so say if I was the people from Peter Pan, what could I do to help right now? with the fallout and everything, like what, say if it was me, what could I do to keep accountable in the right way and not be selective about it, you know? What would be a starting point? Just like two things that like, they could do tomorrow. Um, send me an email and apologize. They haven't, apolo- they haven't said sorry to you directly? Some, some members of the production team have, but not the ones who were in question. But like, that also needs to be um, a united front on their part. Yeah, I have I have asked two members of the production team to come up with a response to publicly state that they have seen my posts and have and stand with me, um, which they haven't done. So I don't really know. 
I well, can't. you know what? I won't. I won't push you anymore on that because that's all that needs to be said. I. I... But to answer, uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, first of all, like, acknowledge that it happened. Wow. Um, wow. And then, and I think that that's the thing is like, um, because they're never going to understand how they can rectify it until they move through the accountability. Because that's the thing about accountability. People are so scared of losing their jobs that they don't want to do the work. But it's like, if you do the work and you really move through what it is to be accountable to all of the harm you have caused, mm -hmm. you will, with humility and grace, step down from your job. I guarantee it. It will not be a fight. You will not feel a need to defend your right to be there if you have caused that much. Because here's the thing. Because I was like, I was like, what if that was me? What yeah. if, okay, what, was, what if that was me? What if I was in a position where I was in artistic leadership for like X amount of years and and I, it's now been brought to light that I have been incredibly abusive, incredibly toxic to be around, all of these different things. So while completely understanding that, that yes, you know, we all have our own shit that we have to deal with. But if I found that out, God, that would feel awful. So it would feel terrible. It would, I would be like, I failed, I, but ultimately I would be like, I have to step down. That's, that's the truth because somebody who can do the things that I cannot will now step in and be able to rectify this and to yeah. be able to repair that harm. But without the proper acknowledgement of your own complicity within it, everything else is meaningless. Yeah. And that's what I, and I think that that's what I was struggling to uh, express is that it all feels hollow because mm -hmm. they didn't personally try to rectify the situation with me. And so Yes, they've done things. And, and also on the side, um, a bunch of um, carousel um, who, people who have been in carousel and who have like alumni of, of shows and of like on the staff, they have all mobilized and, and have meetings with the board, which is what ultimately has um, Carol stepped down. And they're now in the process of like rehiring and figuring out. So there is work being done behind the scenes by my fellow comrades who were also traumatized by Carousel. Yeah. But the people who I was asking to mobilize are people who did not go through that experience, people who have positions of power. I'm talking about other artistic directors. I'm talking about the NAC. I'm talking about all of these places where this should be their job. As other artistic leaders, you should also be holding this artistic leader accountable. It shouldn't be the people who have been traumatized. Like, yes, we have the experience, but my call out was for other people to help and to mobilize. So I'm grateful for the people who have. Um, I, they're only nameless because, you know, I don't know how comfortable they feel about, but just know that, like, to all the people who have written all those letters to the board, everybody who has called for action, who, who sat on those Zoom calls with our now mediator person, the people who have done that work, I'm so proud of them and I'm so happy that they've done the work, but I just feel so empty at times because the people who, I, who we needed, who we are calling to, to show up, are continuing to not. Yeah. And it's just this whole, and I think that a lot of BIPOC people can relate to this. There's like an emptiness and a hollowness between where it's like people do things and they're like, well, I've done my work. And it's like, 
I, if I choose to be in the art sector for the rest of my life, like I am going to be participating in this, I don't want to say battle because I don't want to make it seem like it's like, like yeah, it's, it's not a fight that we want to have for people to be clear. Like, yeah, but it's inherently what I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life because I'm someone who believes in my right to exist with dignity. Yeah. And, and so, you know, full disclosure, no, I'm not backing down. No, I'm not going anywhere. But I do know that this kind of work is not sustainable unless the other side mobilizes. So in, in the past week or so, I've really been like taking a step back because there, there is a certain point where you realize that there are, it's been made clear the people who do not want to change and are not interested. Yeah. So it, now it's about mobilizing in a different way to, um, you know, um, align with people who are with it. Like I've really been in constant communication with people who really aligned with what I said and are actually very interested in creating um, sustainable change. And, um, and I think that like a lot of us will have to do it by setting a precedent you know, and that was the thing about Kamloopa is I think that Kamloopa set a precedent for people. It's like, this is what happens when we can create art in a really like respectful way in which everyone is given the right to their dignity for their right to exist in the full extent of who they are. And look what amazing things can happen if we do that, because we were a, like, we all weren't, it wasn't all indigenous. It was a mostly femme team, but we all came from very diverse backgrounds and the way that we communicated with each other the way that we expressed our different needs the way that that Kim would just a lot time for it like we were having a tough morning that we would just chill even if we had a deadline even because Kim would always say the deadline doesn't matter because at the end of the day it's a stupid fucking show I'm here to protect you and we don't and the thing is is people are so scared of that like these leaders are so caught in that I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to be accountable that they're not seeing that if you actually have the humility to like, look at yourself and like, you know, take steps back where you need to, to see like the amazing things that can happen. If you do mm -hmm. like for me, the most important thing I've ever done is like investigate my own ego because my own ego is creating like such a toxic relationship to the people around me I you know being jealous of other actors being jealous of and now that I've worked through that and I see like the whole picture it's like it feels so good to uplift other, other people even and I say this and hold me to it is that you know if a young Ojibwe girl messages me and it's like hey I really want to be in children of God can I play your role I would say yes Absolutely. Here's Do Corey's cell to... phone number. Call him. <laughs> yeah, here's Corey's number. Call him. Text him. If you want answer. me to do it, I'll quit. Like, it's fine. You yeah, know, we'll because... Set, we'll set you up, girl. <laughs> and again, and, and I'm not trying to come off as, like, holier than thou or, like, like, I'm so amazing. Look at me go. But, like, I just mean that... But moving through my own insecurities and, like, moving through my own, like, my attachment to, like but I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want mm -hmm. to be important. I want, you know, instead of looking at it and going, let me work through my trials and tribulations that I've been through so that I can be available to the community. It's a really fucking cool thing. So leaders get on it. Mm. I'm ready. I'm I available. Like I feel like Caitlin, you did such a good job there of like really kind of explaining your thought process and it's my thought process too on like the responsibility of being a storyteller i feel mm -hmm. like people do not think of the responsibility of what it is to 
tell a story and how you're telling it and the power and and the weight that that carries for a lot of people and uh, I feel like that's what's honestly that's what for me that's what's missing and like for me for artistic leadership I'd be like think about the responsibility of the stories you're putting on to the responsibility of doing a show like Children of God and how that's going to affect your audience and and your your audience and what, what how it's going to affect your different audience members and and why is that a good thing or why is that a bad thing and you know start being critical of like certain shows because there's some shows that just probably don't need to be put on anymore even though the music's beautiful we'll hear it in a concert like the music's not going to go away exactly that's the whole thing it, it's like the whole battle about like destroying all of the statues of like it's, oh that drives me that is a trigger thing for me caitlin <laughs> it, honestly it drives me crazy we're like we're erasing history. It's in a book. It's on the internet. A, yeah. a statue is not history. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Literally not a history. And that statue that you're defending is representing inaccuracies in history. It's not even accurate history. So you're wrong all the way around. You're wrong in every which way you're approaching this. And it's exactly. not an opinion. It's not my opinion. It's a fact. You do not need those statues. It is not erasing history. You, that's you the thing. Being indigenous. Being like, we've had our history wiped out. Yeah, like, seriously. That's <laughs> the thing that, like, makes my head want to pop off. My head's already really big because I'm tall and my head's massive. Like, my head, like, literally balloons up because I just get so raged because I'm like, do you want to know what it's like to have to try to reclaim a history that's actually been taken away? I'm sorry, your statue is probably coming down or it's going to get some paint on it. And guess what? It will not physically harm you. It, that's the other thing that just drives me up the wall. I'm like, that's not even your culture. I'm like... Christopher Columbus, you might not even be from the place that he's from. That might not even be your community. And yeah. he didn't even land in North America. He was in the Bahamas. He never came up here. So it's like, why we have these statues for somebody who, who was lost? They were dying. You want to hear about scurvy? I can go on, but I won't because it's yeah. not that type of podcast. But your statue's coming down. Oh my gosh, it's not erasing history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like take that part like go back to it and like re-listen to it again because it's just, it just it just blows my mind it is the most yeah. it's anyway it's, anyway the yeah, responsibility of storytelling <laughs> yeah and that's the thing is like yeah going back it's like i feel like because i i let's say that so the christopher columbus statue let's do a metaphor the christopher columbus statue is golden age musicals they're there they're incredibly violent. They're incredibly patriarchal. They're incredibly toxic. Yeah. And we're all like, oh, but, but, but the history, but, but, but the Rodgers and Hammerstein. And I'm like, you know, while you're busy thinking about the canon of work that Rodgers and Hammerstein created, I'm busy thinking about all of the Black, Indigenous, and artists of color who were probably wanting to write shows to go to Broadway. And we're not because they were too busy trying to survive the political... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Oklahoma is like is a good example of um, whitewashing musical theater because there was there's so many indigenous people in the state of Oklahoma and they were just awarded a giant chunk because it was their land. Everybody in in a battle with the United States and the Supreme Court. So it's kind of like there would be indigenous people and it would inform the story and you literally left that out. So your story is inaccurate and so I am not that interested anymore. Even though I love Oklahoma, oh my god. I know, and I want to be. Able Annie. <laughs> I know, and like, you know and, and I I also love the music and like 
But yeah. see, that's the thing, Caitlin. We can love it and still be critical of it at the same time. People feel exactly. like they, have, they feel like they have to choose a side. It's like I love Oklahoma. I'll sing. There's a oh, uh, there's a bright golden haze on the meadow until that golden haze on the meadow goes away. And even when it does, I'll probably still sing that song. But that's not the point. Also, you know what makes me appreciate Sondheim because Rodgers and Hammerstein are one of them was his mentor, and then he criticized them um, in their lyric writing. He's like, how come they always reference birds? <laughs> <laughs> they, there's a and lot of birds reference in their in their lyrics it's just, yeah, it's just funny yeah. and so so yeah so golden age musicals are like this christopher columbus statue like it's there it will always be there like you have been so indoctrinated into your history of musical theater but now we're in a place where we're exploring new modalities of storytelling yeah. and and also the thing is is like when you produce those like historically really inaccurate and also damaging <laughs> narratives you know you have to have space for critical conversation that was an that was a point that i brought up to my university where i was like a lot of what i experienced in theater school was like prescriptive training like you do this and you don't get to say anything you don't get to say no you don't get to say you're not okay with it i was like you actually don't foster an environment for critical conversation because the thing is is the world has shifted since then you know there are communities that we have to represent and as as storytellers as artistic leaders it is your job to accurately represent the communities in which you are in and for me i just look around and i'm like that's not vancouver like i'll watch an all-white cast of whatever the fuck and i'm like and that's I'm like, not, vancouver. not vancouver do you want to go walk down that's like, barely any place in the world at this point too so like exactly and so like when people are just like oh like blah 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 and i'm like i'm like it's just not accurate it's just yeah. not true it's and, not true and it reinforces and, racism yeah and that's what i get sick of and so for me it's like so let's say like you if you so fucking badly want to produce fucking mary poppins for the 15th time if you just you just want to do it you have to have conversations about what went on then, how it translates now, what is different, what is the same, and where do you stand? And I think that that's our job, you know, I hate when people are just like, oh, well, I just want to like tell the story the way that it was in terms of the context. I was like, nah. yeah, okay. okay. And also like traumatize every woman that comes yeah. to see your production of Carousel, like, yeah, yeah sure thing. And so, I was like, you are responsible to the community you are telling stories for. It is a reciprocal narrative. It's not just about me, my art, make money. No, you are actually responsible because the only reason why we have become storytellers is to create that social impact. Yeah, at because, least that's how I feel. Yeah, and, and I know that some people are like, eh, like I feel differently. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't have time for you. And well, it's- you know, I can understand, you know, I can understand why they, f they might feel differently, but it's like that thing that what we were talking about before, were you trained to feel that way? Were you indoctrinated oh. in your training? Oh, oh, the word that I was looking for before was sophisticated. Oh. Like, Caitlin, you're not a sophisticated actor. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be sophisticated. I don't want to be sophisticated. Like that's boring. That's and also, and, oh. and guess what? These, so the conversations that we're having about revolutionizing these like old narratives are super exciting and are totally fit for 2020 and are what oh my, we're ready for. Caitlin, oh my gosh, I asked everybody this question. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I need to ask you this question. Yeah. If there, okay. There was one musical you wanted to completely indigenize. What would it be? Any musical. Any musical. Okay. 
I want the indigenous equivalent to um, Little Women, but in terms of like five indigenous femmes, like discovering themselves and like their journey. That is a good one. Oh, that would be so good. Because that's like, you know, because I've, I've been in Little Women. I had a really good time. Caitlin, it was a good that. time, but we, but we had really critical, like Julie and I had really critical conversations about, about the room that we were in. And, and I was the only person of color in the production. And, and I said, I was, like, I was like, while, you know, we're telling this story from a Eurocentric lens, like you guys just have to leave room for me to share my perspectives of like what my people were up to in 1865. Mm-hmm. And like, even though we're not directly addressing it maybe in terms of the storytelling, but at least everyone in this room has an understanding of where my identity intersects with this story and in what ways I can't necessarily relate to the story. And so my journey of finding Amy was very unique. Like it was just different. And Julie allowed me the space to really understand how I can portray Amy in a way that doesn't like indoctrinize myself into something that I'm not. And so the thing is, is like white people, y'all are so scared of like having us in your rooms to like do these historical pieces. Like Julie did it flawlessly and perfectly. Like we just. And and she's not indigenous. She's not, she's not black. She's white. She's a white lady. It's like people are doing it already. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's like, and that's kind of what I want to hit home with is that I, I've been participating in this work for like, you know, as long as I've been an artist really in terms of like defending my right to exist with dignity. And now, you know, I feel really fortunate to be aligning with certain artists that are doing this brave work and are, and, and I think just like, ultimately, like we're going to keep going and we're going to keep doing our work and it's going to be awesome and people are going to love it. And these theater companies are just going to fall behind. And because, you know, your old subscriber base is going to die out in 20 years. Yeah. What say you to Gen Z? Like what, you know, what stories are they going to want to pay like a bajillion dollars for a subscription package? No, because we're all poor. Like oh, we don't. But honestly, as much as I love Carol King, I, I, I got free tickets. Thank goodness to go see it. And I couldn't afford that to bring my husband to that. We're looking at like $600. Yeah. And, and I, that's like a whole, that's the other thing too, is like, those are barriers that I've also been trying to, like in every contract that I've been a part of, of just being like, what kind of outreach can we do? Like, yeah. are lottery, we insured? Do a lottery, 20 bucks. Do a lottery for like good seats. Oh my gosh. And and make it for 18 and under. Yeah. And not lottery. just like one, one pay what you can on like a Tuesday matinee. I'm like, no, make it a Friday night. Make it pay what you can Friday night. Give up your biggest money-making slot. Because this is the thing. It's like, again, the selective things where I bring up, hey, ticket sales, not exactly that accessible. What can you do? Well, we'll offer them free tickets to our, our, our Tuesday. I'm like, oh yeah, your most undersold show. Yeah, okay. That's really putting you at risk. That's yeah. the thing, it's like nobody, it's been, it's been made clear to me, those who are not willing to actually stick their necks out to get the work done. They are who they are. I will continue to be fierce in my pursuit of being like, nay, nay, no, no, yeah. this is not okay. Um, that's your new song, Nay Nay. No, no. Oh no, this is not okay. okay all right, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't want to know. Me and Caitlin's eyes both kind of like went big on the camera when she said that. We had this. <laughs> I'm like, Nay. no, no. Yeah, yeah, that's good. 
This is how I, this is how I communicate. Kayla, I'm still, I'm still like going down the rabbit hole of like the indigenous equivalent of little women. It would be so good. It would be so good. Somebody needs to write that. You, you just can be inspired by little women and then apply the truth of what indigenous women have to go to. It would be so, it would be so beautiful. It'd be so good. Think of the songs. Oh, I'm ready. I'm here. Well, cause, cause, um, and I hope you're okay with me sharing this of like yeah. us wanting to get together um, as the children of God cast and have our own like indigenous musical theater cabaret because because like as I expressed like storytelling through song has always been my most powerful modality but because that work you know children of God only happens you know once a year and we're lucky that it even does yeah. but I was like and and I love being a part of Kamlupa I love part being a part but I miss being able to sing and I think that that's why like Les Fidu Roi and Children of God have such a strong place in my heart is because it's like where I get to do all of the things that I love at the same time so yeah. I you know more indigenous musicals please because yeah. yeah. we're ready like we're hear me out this is a new idea but like okay so back to indigenous little women but it's through the matriarchal society of like you know because because the narrative is all about like the women you know yeah. getting married to the men but it's like the indigenous women where it's matriarchal so yeah. that would be so cool we don't like, get married because fuck that well yeah what if it's like because i'm i want it i know like it's your idea and let me know what you think. I want it to be in modern day because it'd almost be like reclaiming that that matriarchal society that a lot of indigenous cultures were based around before colonization. A lot of people, even our own people forget that the women were really our leaders, which yeah. just makes sense to me anyway. Yeah. But it's, that would just make some, I think two of like our, 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 our sisters from uh, the Mohawk community, because I know the way, you know this too, because you did Lid Fidua, it would, yeah. it would lend itself so beautifully it's so it was it's, little women fits perfectly and like there's so many directions you could go and all of them would be so good somebody yeah. needs to do it <laughs> no, no i like your idea way better than mine i was like trying to make it like because yeah because i learned about the clan systems with the with the mohawk and i was i was thinking about that but we don't need another historical adaptation like we need modern day but like yeah. it. Yeah. first thing is that we would just abolish the term like little you know it wouldn't be called little women because yeah, we are yeah. not little though i am like little just the spirit that i carry is massive like yeah. it takes up like so much space it's stupid like <laughs> i obviously know caitlin that you're 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 much like you're like half my size because we've stood next to each other but even but i don't think of you as like somebody who's short if that makes sense. Surprisingly, a lot of people have said that to me. They're like, <laughs> you have like, <laughs> you have like big, you, you like occupied space of like someone who's a, a I'm like, I'm like, no, we would be dance partners. Oh wait, no, we wouldn't. But, but we would maybe. I can lift you. you so, we in would. All we, musical, we can. We should do the dirty dance lift in water like they practiced because I'm sure you're so little and like, it's not like I'm that strong, but I'm sure I could get you out there. It's I want to ask, can I ask you a question, Caitlin? Yeah. Do you think that the people from Peter Pan, if they held themselves accountable, if they did the work that they obviously are not doing that they need to do, do you still feel like you have forgiveness inside of you? And it's totally okay if you don't. I also feel like we get gaslit and to be like, you're not a healthy person if you can't forgive somebody. I don't think that's true. So it's not, I'm not, I'm, so just to make clear, I'm not positioning it that way for people are asking like, why are you asking her that? She doesn't need to forgive them. But I'm just curious, do you have that, do you still have that in you or are you moved on? I absolutely do. And that's the thing, but I have an expectation of what needs to be done on the other side in order to move through that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, and 
I, I say that because as young actors, as actors of color, we are not told that we are allowed to have that, that standard, mm. that we have to constantly be compromising ourselves. And I want to continuously lead by example of being like, no, there are things that you have to do to earn my trust. There are things that you have to do to earn the right to engage with me in this way. And that sounds so like, it's not like you're asking for a lot. It's not really, you're asking no. to be just acknowledged as the human being that you are. I feel like that's all what that we're asking. We're not asking, we don't, like no person's asking for a list of demands. Like, no. like all that Caitlin is really, I feel, correct me if I'm wrong, what you're asking for is just your basic human dignity and being recognized for who you are because so constantly as people of color, we're trying to fit into a Eurocentric world and we have to do a lot of internalized racism to ourselves to make ourselves fit. And like, yep. we shouldn't have to do that. And I feel like that's all that we're really asking for when like, you know what, I, I just don't want anybody to have that BS excuse where it's like, well, now I'm scared to work with biopic people because I'm going to, I'm going to screw it up. It's like, you're not going to screw it up. Just acknowledge them and let them be who they are. It's that simple. Exactly. Because I make, I make mistakes all the time. Like, like in early in my career, I made so many mistakes of just like occupying way too much space in effort to like understand my displacement. Mm. And that was a nuance that I had to learn over time was that I utilized a lot of resources to like figure myself out. And I realized in retrospect that it was really selfish and it was really harmful to my darker skinned community members. And that was a really hard truth. Like I, that wasn't comfortable. I didn't like it, but I moved through it because I have a responsibility to understand my own privileges and where I went wrong. And the thing is, is like making a mistake is not actually that big of a deal. It's just because the thing that I want to highlight with Peter Pan is that my anger is not about um, what I endured. It's the fact that I endured abuse. I stood up and said, hey, this is not okay. And they were like, no, that's what I'm angry about. Yeah. And it's the fact that I brought up and I, I made my boundaries super clear. And they told me that no wasn't an option. They did not allow me to consent to engage in a way because they were expecting me to abandon myself. We've built this entire art sector on this idea that we just inevitably have to indoctrinate ourselves into white supremacy that we just inevitably have to do that and because i stood up and said no i'm actually not going to subscribe to that what are you going to do and that they decided to manipulate me to abuse me to yeah manipulate situations to make me look like the bad guy instead of just having the courage to say because if they had just said hey you know what we made a mistake. Yeah, let's hire a fight director. And yes, let's bring a cultural- If you were a 40-year-old white man, they would have hired a fight director the first time you brought it up, guaranteed. Yeah. If you were a white man, if you were a 40-year-old white man, you said, I need a fight director, I'm not doing, they would have been, oh, absolutely, you're 100% correct. We're so that's sorry. Another, that's another inter intricate part of my Peter Pan experience was that um, there was an older gentleman who is indigenous, but, um, you know, but he had like multiple Stratford contracts and things like that. When he asked for something, it was done. Yeah. It was just like done, you know, and then for me, they just equated it to, oh, she's young. She doesn't know better. Like blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, like my spirit is fucking old, my dudes. Like I've been around for a long time. You know, this is not, 
this is not my first ball game. It's not and like, like you're asking for like red M&Ms and champagne. You're asking exactly. for, you're asking for asking a fight like, director, for goodness sakes. It's the most basic thing. Yeah, when they were insinuating that I was being a diva and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that, you know, doing something in a safe way is asking for like the, like suddenly I'm like fucking Mariah Carey. Like, asking for a golden bathtub. Like, I'm sorry, is that what you think that advocating for your own rights is? And can I get a golden bathtub since you guys brought it up? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have a pool. Yeah, so, you know, that's the whole thing. Um, I think through sharing my experience, I've really been made to realize, like, just the generally extractive nature of what it is to hold accountability. Because even, even then, another thing, um, I got a lot of outreach after my post because in my post, I talk about two things. I talk about um, there was no fight director and we engaged in a lot of physically unsafe work. And then also um, tokenism because I was asked um, to include my cover letter in a grant that they wrote. And so I took that as like this verbal agreement. And I, I sat in the office with Carol and I said, you know, since you've, you know, you've used my name and my words to like get money, you know, I have an expectation of like, this is how things are going to go. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we want to honor you. We want to do whatever, whatever, whatever. And then all of this stuff happened. And they were constantly because there was this other whole thing about the land acknowledgement. They like got me to write a land acknowledgement. And then we're like, no, just kidding. We don't want to use it. And I was like, well, then why did you make me do all this work and this labor for for nothing. And they were just like, oh, like, we weren't telling you to do that. Like, we didn't tell you. Like, that was, you know, you're just guessing too much into it. And like, can't, again, this is why they were like, can't you just be Peter Pan? I was like, oh, yeah, now that I'm not making you money, and I'm actually just holding you accountable to being racist. Now, now it's, it's, it's a perfect time for me to put away my indigeneity. Yeah. But you have got my face plattered on all the fucking posters all around Granville Island, you have not hesitated to talk about how indigenous I am. And all of a sudden, I'm not allowed to be indigenous anymore. Yeah. But it's a selective. And anyway, so that being said, um, when I posted the status, many people have responded to me in terms of like their outrage about the lack of fight director, which is, you know, merited, but very few people have actually talked about the tokenism and how bullshit that was, because people just aren't ready to like open that part out. I just think that's honestly, Caitlin, like, I, 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 like, hearing you say it too, it just makes me so angry. It's so, that's honestly so, in my opinion, it's my opinion, everyone, that's just so vile because they were happy to use a cover letter for your audition to get them money, to get them money. So it's like not, they were using you in so many ways that you didn't consent to. And then when you're like trying, yeah, that's, that is, that I'm I'm so... And the fact that they can't even apologize, they can't even say sorry. Yeah, and it's like, and this is the reason why, like, so many BIPOC artists are burnt out. Like, we're burnt out, I wrote this down in the notes. I was talking about how I was just like, we're exhausted from this parasitic and extractive nature of diversity because it's, well, there's this, like, selectiveness to diversity where it's like certain parts of us are allowed to exist and then others we just have to pack away and put away. And that's traumatizing. For anyone who doesn't know, that kind of spiritual extractive work is traumatizing. And trauma manifests in different people and different indigenous people have different, or different BIPOC artists have different motives of being able to deal with that, to rectify it. I'm not here to say that this is the one way, but my, 
this process was traumatizing to me. And that's the thing is like, people think it's just about the injuries. They think it's just about my knee injuries. And I'm like, no, but my spirit was injured because I was not allowed to exist in the full extent of who I am. I was told like when I was four years old, the way that you exist is not okay. And we don't want that. So put that part away. But they'll still use you. They'll still use you and make the money. Yeah, but, you know, we want, we want yeah. the money or we want your presence for money. And the thing is, is like a lot of people have said to me, they're like, but they gave you the job. And I'm like, that's not enough. It's not enough because this room isn't built for me to exist. Oh. So how can you put my letter out there? Because I said that I wanted to work towards creating equitable situations for indigenous peoples. How can you put that in a grant? How can you put that there when you do not give a single fuck about what I went through and what I endured to even bother to send me a fucking email to say, mm. hey, I'm sorry that that happened. No, you know, and, and yes, clearly I'm still angry about it, but my anger is absolutely okay. Like for any listeners Ooh, wondering, like, I'm, I'm like fine. Caitlin, you're not that angry. I don't think you're that angry. I think you're very reasonable. But again, I'm being forced to apologize for my anger all the time because as soon as a young femme woman speaks up and has a loud voice, they're like, can you settle? I'm like, you're not that angry. But I think you're, I'm, I'm, I I think you're handling this uh, with so much grace. I think my dog, my dog just heard me. The dog's like, wait, are you okay? (laughs) The dog's like, what's going on in here? Hi, puppy. She heard me yelling, and she's like, are you okay? That's so funny. Also, animals should be integral to every process ever. Uh, yes. So, Caitlin, I just want to ask you, I feel like I do know your answer. I want to ask you, what do you feel is your personal responsibility as a storyteller? To make it a better place for the next generation to come, yeah. I feel like. And I've articulated that already, but I want Indigenous, Japanese queer, everything, every community that I represent, I want them to feel seen. I want them to feel healed because we already go through this barrier of, I think that so many of us, you know, are just so honored to exist in spaces because we're like, we did it. You know, we've, we've fulfilled that need. And for me, it's like, Yes, I have really felt an opportunity to be seen like Kamloopa and Children of God and Lifi Duhua. I'm so grateful, but so I am forever, I am forever, like not indebted, but I owe that transformation to my leaders. Like I owe that transformation to Kim. I owe that to Corey, to Renelta, and all of the all of the Yolanda, you know, so on and so forth. There's so many. And my responsibility is to have that kind of impact for the next generation. Take what I've learned, the privileges that I now have because of their labor, do the work, figure out what's still missing and what we still need, and then work hard so that the next generation can have an easier time. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing. I know that stuff is still really fresh. It's still happening. Um, and, you know, I think, again, it's it's really generous of you to do that. I hope it's a learning point for a lot of other people to not make those mistakes. And, <laughs> um, and, and if you do, send an email and say you're sorry. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had friends, close friends, say something incredibly racist. And when I uh, let them know that that's racist and it hurts me, they apologize and I'm still their friend. You exactly. Know? No, it's like, it's like, it's like, I would rather you make the mistake so we can help you not do that anymore. I don't understand why people are so embarrassed 
by that uh, anyway you're so generous and you're so strong caitlin and you are so generous and you're so strong and wonderful and i'm just so happy to be sharing these words with you because i'm i'm all for truth telling you know but it's like i need safe spaces to be able to engage in this work so thank you for creating that safe space for me to be able to share these of course caitlin and again thank you so much for coming on thank you for everybody for sticking with us and listening to our stories and we'll uh, see you soon